Hey everyone, this is Caleb, and I am so grateful that you have decided to spend a few minutes of your day here with me on the Learner's Corner podcast. And today we are talking about one of my favorite subjects, history, and learning a little bit more of how we can understand history better. And joining me today to talk about that is Vern Poitras, and he has recently released a brand new book called Redeeming Our Thinking About History, A God-Centered Approach. Now, if this happens to be your first time listening to The Learner's Corner, I do want to let you know about a couple of things. The first one is this, is that what we try to do here on The Learner's Corner is create a safe place to have difficult conversations because there are just some subjects that maybe you're not able to have a good conversation with uh, with somebody just because maybe they're more interested in getting their point across than listening to you or um, or maybe they just get really emotional around uh, the topic and they're just not able to have uh, a, a respectful uh, dialogue around it. But whatever the reason is, we want to create good conversation here on the podcast to where we can disagree and continue to have dialogue and talk with one another. And the, another one is this, is that we truly believe that we can learn from anyone and from everyone, regardless of whether or not we agree with them 100% on it, because everyone has something that they can teach us. And in some cases, we uh, we don't have to agree with them in one subject, but we can learn from them in another subject. And then other cases you know sometimes it's learning from their failure of how they did things wrong which is a big part of history as well of learning of uh how people screwed things up and they didn't get it right and in other examples throughout history we see how they handled situations well maybe how they responded really well to the times that they were in and the last one is this is that we truly believe that we can learn from anything and from everything because Everything has something to teach us that we can learn about life through anything. And so today we're learning about history, but you may have something else that you're really interested in learning about and maybe you would love us to cover on the podcast or you have someone that might be a great guest on the podcast and I would love to hear from you about that. And the best way to reach out to me is learnerscornerpodcast at gmail.com. And, you know, you can hit me up with any suggestions uh, that you think might be good for the podcast there. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Vern, and then we're going to jump into our conversation. So Dr. Vern Poitras is a professor of New Testament interpretation at Westminster Theological Seminary. His academic interests include the triune nature of God, Christ's sovereignty over all areas of life, and the study of biblical hermeneutics. He is also an ordained teaching elder in the Presbyterian Church in America. And he has authored so many books. You know, the one that we're talking about today is Redeeming Our Thinking About History, but he also has Redeeming Science. He has uh, uh, Redeeming uh, Logic as well, and Redeeming um, Sociology. He's got so many of these uh, of these different types of books as because, you know, as a as I mentioned in the bio, he's interested in learning about a lot of things and how they relate to um, theology and how they relate to God as well. And so without any further wait, here is our conversation.
Well, Vern, it's so good to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today. Well, thank you for inviting me. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of what we're going to talk about is about your brand new book, Redeeming Our Thinking About History. Um, but one of the things that I, I would love to start out with um, is that this isn't like the the first time that you've taken like a big subject, you know, such as history and, uh, and written a book about it. You know, you've done that for uh, mathematics, science, sociology. Um, and I would just be really curious to hear uh, kind of like what's your process look like whenever you're trying to tackle a big subject like like the ones mentioned and trying to get a, an understanding or your hands around it. Right. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. And the the funny thing is that in many respects, I believe that, of course, God is sovereign over all of history and over my own life. Mm-hmm. And many of these things have happened, so to speak, by accident in in terms of uh, it, it being things that I kind of, uh, I studied before with no idea that I was going to write a book on it. Mm. So that happened with, with mathematics, for example, and one on logic and, uh, and the one on language, because, uh, you know, it's part of my history and, and things that I'm grateful to God that he brought me through and I had no idea, you know, what would come out the other end. Well, I have a background in science too. So that, you know, those things happen just by the providence of God working in my life. There are some, and the history book is one of them, where I deliberately decided now I'm going to, uh, I'm going to focus in on that. But what I've done mostly is to read the Bible and, uh, and then to think about, well, you know, what are the implications for these fields? But I've ha- when when I have chose to study the area of history, then I did do some bibliography, right? I I did try to see what are some of the main books that discuss this, and people from different points of view, basically non-Christian points of view, and to look at you know, what's going on in some of those enough to inform myself. But mainly, I'm trying to do a positive Christian point of view, and the Bible itself, therefore, becomes a main source. And uh, because I've thought about the way in which God shows his own attributes and even his Trinitarian character in the world, then when I go to look at a particular area, I think, well, Lord, how are you, how are you showing who you are in this particular area? Well, one of the things about history that you learn very quickly from the Bible is that God is Lord of history, that he rules history, that he has a plan for all of history, and it has a beginning. That's creation of the world, but also creation of human beings, right? Because most of what we mean by history, people talk about the history of the solar system, for example. Well, you know, that's, it's basically what happened, right? But, but most, what we mostly mean by history is history involving human beings. So it's very important to say, well, God created human beings. He created Adam and Eve in the beginning. And, and that's, and they created us in the image of God. So there are special capabilities of human beings that we need to reckon with. We're not just um, apes. Yeah. 
And, uh, but then there's the end of history, right? Because God tells us, even though we're not there yet, he tells us what it's going to be somewhat in visions and pictures so that you can't figure out all the details, but there it is in the book of Revelation and other passages. So we've got the beginning of history, the end of history, the purpose of God in history, all those things are explained in the Bible. And so a Christian believer is so much better off when you think about it than somebody who's trying to puzzle it out and doesn't even know who they are. They don't realize they're made in the image of God. They don't realize that we are made with the purpose of being in fellowship with God and serving him and loving him and receiving his love and all those things. That is a thing that makes sense of individual lives, my life. It's, it really fills my life with purpose and the purpose of history in general. You know, why are there wars? Well, it goes back to the fact that our first parents rebelled against God and sin and evil has been in the human heart ever since. People without that framework in the Bible are kind of at a loss and, and some people have been very naive. Oh, we're getting better and better. Well, we got better and better technology, but it doesn't make us morally better, right? And, and uh, the wars of the 20th century are, are proof of it. And now we've got, you know, we've got conflict even going on right now in Ukraine, but there are other parts of the world where there's virtual civil war. And, and uh, so it's very distressing and it's distressing. It ought to be distressing to Christian believers too, because we, we're told to love uh, our fellow human beings. It's distressing, but we know that God has a purpose and we know we can distinguish between good and evil because God is our standard for that. So there's so many things where the Bible provides some basic guidelines. And, you know, there are people who want to know all the details of, well, you know, why did God raise up Napoleon? And, and you know, why was Napoleon defeated at Waterloo? And so all these details, well, the Bible doesn't answer every question, of course, but it gives us a framework for understanding who we are and what's going on in the world. Yeah, and uh, I want to go back to what you mentioned a little bit of this idea of throughout history, you know, we it, it looks like we advance as a society. And what your point was, you know, we, we advance in technology. And maybe that's what makes it look a, a little bit more sophisticated. But even just introducing that framework of um, how are we progressing in our morality throughout that? Can you talk a little bit about that dynamic a little bit more? Yes, right. Well, again, if if we reference the Bible and realize that it's God's own instruction to us, it gives us some basic answers. It, because ever, as I said, ever since Adam and Eve rebelled against God, that heart of rebellion, and it goes very deep, that heart of rebellion has been with us. Now, people are not as bad as they could possibly be. The Bible uh, has a teaching that God restrains evil, and he blesses people who do not deserve it. So he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good. That's part of Jesus, what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. So history is, in that respect, is a mixed bag, right? There are noble things that have been done even by pagans, uh, and there are awful things that have been done by people who profess to be Christian believers, mm -hmm. 
and and there is this uh, mixture of good and evil throughout history. But I think you're right that the growth of science and the growth of techno, even more so, the growth of technical technological offshoots, uh, uh, improvements in agriculture. That's one of the big ones, and then. Uh, the, the industrial revolution, steam engine, but now we've got the information revolution and we've got cell phones in our pockets that have more power than, than the entire computer that, that was on the Apollo missions. We've got you know this exciting kinds of advance and it tends to make people forget the past in some ways. Oh, well, you know we're through with that. And uh, when actually we can learn a lot about human nature because human nature fundamentally has still got the same problem, you know, no matter how much technology we got around us. And that's illustrated by the discovery in the 20th century of atomic energy. So now we've got uh, nuclear power plants that give us, um, give us uh, energy uh, very cheaply and, and pretty safely nowadays. I know people dispute that. And we've also got nuclear bombs that can destroy the world. <laughs> well, you know, with, that's, that's the ambiguity of technology, right? And, and for the average person, it's not so much nuclear energy as it is, is the, um, the computer that you got in your pocket and the cell phone. Well, that gives us enormous ability to do good by connecting with other people and trying to bless them, pray for them, you know, uh, uh, give encouragement to them through media. But it's a tremendous uh, potential for evil. People saying nasty things, people canceling one another, uh, and people selling lies, right? And and so that's human nature. <laughs> and uh, and we're not fundamentally improving. The Bible also, of course, has a message of salvation that through Christ, we can have a change at the heart level, at the deepest level. And then that spills over into all kinds of changes in life, although it's gradual and it's sometimes painful and sometimes takes a long time. So, so Christian believers are not necessarily all paragons of virtue. Right, they're on the way, and some people have said, "Well, Christianity is like a hospital for sinners, and not like a kind of display case for saints who are already complete." So there's a lot of struggle even for Christians, and we have to be honest about that. But the, those who come to know Christ experience real change, and people have been delivered from drug addictions and and uh, hatreds and uh, uh, things that are very hard to root out um, by, you know, some kind of, uh, of a horizontal therapy, but God, God roots them out. Uh, so I think there's wonderful prospects for people who are willing to submit to Christ and follow him. And that's part of the story of history, that Christ has come into the world and that's, in some respects, the center of history. I've mentioned the, you know, the beginning when God created the world and he created human beings. And the end, which is a new heaven and new earth, which is promised and which is sure because God is in charge. What kind of hope can people have if they don't have a God who is really 
they understand to be in charge of the world. But in the middle of history, we have Christ coming, Christ who is God, taking on human nature, suffering with us, struggling with us, um, and putting up with a lot of opposition, and then finally being crucified and raised from the dead. That's the central axis of the whole of history because it's the means by which God turns everything around, by which he begins to set things right in individual people's lives, but then also in communities, right, as people begin to treat one another with love, and finally in the consummation, because it's Christ who will return and will bring the new heaven and the new earth. Can you talk more about um, like the redeeming the redeeming movements of love that you have seen throughout history? Like one one that come and even uh even even part of like the moral progress. Like one that comes to mind is um, we have we have hospitals today, which was not always the case um, throughout history, and and like things like that that you have seen. Hey, these are some redeeming movements um, of how we have progressed throughout history. Right. Well. Uh, you know, one of the more famous ones in recent, comparatively recent mm-hmm. history is William, William Wilberforce, who was a Bible-believing Christian and who fought for most of his life to stop the slave trade in Great Britain, Britain mm-hmm. and you know, their, their responsibility because they were a great empire to stop it all over the British Empire and and it seemed hopeless, but he worked and worked and he prayed and he, he uh, encouraged other people and finally they passed it. And uh, in, in the United States, of course, we have a history of slavery that had to be dealt with. And the people who were anti-slavery came from various points of view, but a lot of it was from Christian people who saw that uh, every human being is made in the image of God and this is wrong that some people should be enslaved uh, to others. So, so that's part of it. Uh, um, but in the ancient times, in the Roman Empire, when Christianity was just growing, uh, it was understood that if you didn't, if you got an extra child in your family and it was too much or you didn't want the child, you just took the child and put it out on the garbage dump to die. And this was an established thing. It was a blind spot morally in among the Roman people. Of course, they had slavery as well. And that was another blind spot uh, because they didn't see anything wrong with it. You read uh, some of the greatest intellects of the of the world, Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, and they accepted slavery. You know, even though they were brilliant, they didn't, their moral compass was affected by uh, the society in which they were in. Well, the Christians were different because they had God and because God spoke to them clearly in the Bible. And so they rescued these children from the garbage dumps and adopted them and raised them. So that's a tremendous testimony, I think. Uh, and at the time when the Christians were despised and, and were thought of as, as antisocial because they wouldn't go along with some of the things in their environment. So uh, there's many others that I don't even know about, but 
but um, I, I don't want to wash, whitewash the fact that Christians have also participated in enormous evils at mm -hmm. times. That is, people who profess to be Christian. You wonder about, you know, how much do you understand really about Christ when you are able to, to do these evil things? So it's a mixed bag, but that to me confirms the testimony of the Bible because the Bible has a lot of records of history itself. And there are horrible things that are recorded in the Bible, not with the Bible's own approval, but the Bible is honest about how evil people can be. So that, you know, that's, a, that's an important thing because if we live in one of the countries of the West where we've had a lot of Christian influence historically, we've got a government which is reasonable in many respects, we don't realize that some other countries, uh, people are taking bribes, government people are taking bribes all the time. <clears throat> there are gangs, there are drug lords, there are uh, people who, who will do killings if you don't go along with uh, their power plays. We don't realize, we don't see some of the worst evils, although from time to time, you know, there are, there are horrible things in terms of these, these, uh, the killings that take place in the United States. So that's, it should be a reminder to us, look, you know, human nature has got something deeply wrong with it. <laughs> and it isn't just our environment, it's us. Yeah, uh, I want to go back to something that you've mentioned, um, which I don't think gets talked about a lot. And it is the, the historical nature of the Bible and what the Bible records um, and how part of it is a, a little bit of a history book as well. Yeah, it's, yeah, more than a little, yeah, I would yeah, yeah. say. Because not only <laughs> yeah. does it, you know, I've mentioned the two endpoints, right? The beginning and creation of the world and the end. But there is a lot of historical records in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Four different, five different books in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, are basically history books. And something like half of the Old Testament is history books. But not only that, but if you contrast Christianity with other religions, most of the other religions are like religious philosophies. They, they will tell you a way to get out of your problems in this world, often by um, the system of reincarnation or by doing, doing good works uh, or by just thinking evil away, various kinds of schemes, but they're unrelated to history. Christianity is not such a thing, but it is an announcement above all of what God has done, what he did in the Old Testament times leading up to the work of Christ, but the work of Christ is a work in history. There was actually a man, Jesus, who lived in the first century, and you can actually confirm this from extra biblical records who mention him. There's a few that do mention this man who lived in the first century and who died and was tried as a criminal, crucified on a cross, which was one of the most disgusting and painful uh, methods of of uh, execution that the Roman uh, Empire invented. They, that actually happened. And uh, this is very important because 
it is through events that actually are in space and time that God brought about the basis for saving us individually and for saving the world. Those events were crucial, and that is very different kind of thinking than a lot of uh, other competing, you might say, competing religions that look to how can I climb my way up to to a perfection or how to, can I climb my way up to some kind of communion with the spirit world. And the message of Christianity is God has climbed down. <laughs> He's come. He's come and taken on human nature in Jesus Christ. And not only that, but suffered and died in order to take the punishment that was due to us. That is, an, that is a story, <laughs> but the word story can, can connote a made-up story. It isn't made up. It's things that actually happened and that to some extent pagans longed for. So there's there's sometimes myths that are kind of redemptive myths of, of something happening to pull uh, one human individual or a whole nation out of misery. So there are these stories and many of them made up, but some of them based on on, on heroic deeds that people have actually done. But it shows the longing for what actually took place in reality, in time and space, in the first century, and is still affecting us now and will to the very end of the time. So that is, that is a, 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 a way of underlining the fact that in fact, history is essential to Christianity. It isn't a stuck on thing. Oh, if you want, uh, you can have this extra dessert or something like that, right? It's, it's at the very heart of the message of Christianity is a message about events that Jesus accomplished in space and time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things that you talk about in the book is like one of the one of the aspects to pay attention to in history is events. And so uh, I would love to dig down into that a little bit more. And I would just love to hear, um, you know, how do you go like for you and what have you learned about how to go about understanding like the events throughout history better? Right. Well, I mean, there's, there's three aspects. If mm -hmm. we want to talk about that, I, it's in my book. Yeah. There's events, there's people and there's meanings. All three are important. There's events out there in the world. We're not making this stuff up, at least responsible history <laughs> historians. Yeah. I mean, there are historians who use, claim to be historians, but are just making propaganda, right? So, and but that's again, it's human nature, right? Sinful uh, human nature. We can lie to one another, we can try to manipulate one another. But there are real events out there, and every one of us has the events of his own life. So we know what we're what it is to experience that. And the secondly, there are people who make decisions, who have intentions. <clears throat> and understanding history is partly about understanding people, understanding human nature. Now, the Bible has a lot about that. We've already mentioned some things. But I think some people, even non-Christians, develop a lot of skill because they, they've, they're gifted by God uh to to be able to understand people and people different from themselves uh, napoleon for instance i mentioned 
him earlier, Napoleon had this great ambition to be a ruler and to be a conqueror. That's not me. <laughs> so, but I've got to, if I'm going to write about Napoleon, I've got to kind of put myself in his shoes. There are people who are really good at that, and there are people who are not so good. So, and, and I think the Bible, in, in, as we read it, increases our ability because it has so many different kinds of people in it, but also because it talks about the roots of human action and the motivations of the heart, both good and bad, and makes us more realistic, right? So that we're not going to be Pollyanna-ish and think, uh, oh, people are, are always really good, and then uh, we get... Uh, uh, Napoleon, who is a mixed bag, or Hitler, who is really evil, and we're bowled over by it. Well, the Bible is realistic. So there's people, and the third thing is their meanings. It isn't just one meaningless thing after another. And the meanings are not just invented by the historians who want to tell a good story. But they are, as it were, invented by God. <laughs> in fact, God has planned the end from the beginning. So everything we see in history has meaning in terms of his overall plan. And that's very important as we're trying to understand what's happening even outside the Bible. Now, the Bible, as we've said, has quite a bit of history in it. And that's reliable because it's God's own word. When we deal with events outside the Bible, it's not that we're completely on our own, because the Bible still paints this big picture into which we fit the events, but we still have to sift them using guidance from the Bible, and that sifting and that trying to understand is fallible. But we can go a long way depending, you know, on the gifts that God has given us and depending on the gifts of he gives to people who write history. So all three of those things go together. And part of my point in my book is to say that there are people who they lose track of one or more of those things and just concentrate on the events. There's people who are chroniclers. It's just and sometimes people's diaries, for example, are just, they record what happened to them each day without much comment, right? Well, that's, that's not very interesting to most people. There's more meaning to the person's life than what they wrote if it's just events. Now, some people write diaries, right, where they're talking about their inner responses and what they thought and how they felt and so we get into the inner lives of somebody else but that's part of the meaning then of their lives uh, so those three things actually go together the other thing is what do we do in terms of a moral evaluation of events that's very complicated because people are complicated uh, even evil people are not as bad as they could possibly be. And they had to do some things that actually end up in blessing other people. Uh, I can use, the, again, the example, it's often trite example because it's so, so uh, evil, uh, uh, Hitler and the, the Nazis. But the people were, in Germany, were, were uh, 
pulled along partly because they said, well, he makes the trains run on time. There had been a lot of chaos in Germany. And, and when Hitler came to power, he did some good things just in terms of bringing order <laughs> into the nation. But the trouble is that was combined with some very evil purposes. So it's that kind of thing where you say, how do I do a moral evaluation? Well, that's a real puzzle for people who don't believe in God. Where's the source of human evaluation? Is it just in the society? But then there are societies that um, uh, have conducted genocide. Not only Nazis, but some other groups, they just try to wipe out an ethnic minority. Now, we've heard a little about the Uyghurs in China. And so there can be, um, there can be evil things of that kind. And uh, it, that's part of a culture. So we can't just say, well, we get our morality from the culture. Where do we get it? Well, I believe we get it from God. Even people who don't, who say that they don't believe in God, they have aspects of God's standards written on their heart because they're made in the image of God. They can't quite escape God. So they know that murder is wrong. They know that theft is wrong. Even the people who do it, maybe they have tried to silence their conscience, you know, in, in the evil things that they do. But down deep, they know that there is a right and wrong. But the Bible, you see, gives us this straight out, right? So that we don't have to uh, wonder about how much our own hearts have distorted our views of what is right and wrong. So you come to the Ten Commandments, and that gives you a basic outline for evaluating people, other people, as well as yourself. Uh, it should be used first with each one of us, lest we grow pride, uh, prideful about how good, what good people we are and, uh, and condemn everybody else. The Ten Commandments are partly meant to be turned as a kind of microscope on, on each person on his own heart and his own life. And, uh, it, but that gives guidance for history because then we're saying, okay, there is a right and wrong morally, and there are consequences. Uh, uneven consequences within this life because sometimes good people suffer and sometimes evil people prosper. And the Bible talks about that. It talks about the strain that um, followers of Christ feel when they see evil prospering or they see the righteous suffering. It happens. And yet there are it's also judgments of God in history too. So that from time to time, the, the evil is taken down and and does not succeed uh, the way the evil people hoped. Um, but it's very uneven within this life. So th that's one of the things to watch for in history too. But it's easy for people who are Christians to paint too simple a picture, a black and white picture. So they're the good guys and they're the bad guys, right? Like like one of these old cowboy pictures, right? Where the white hats and the black hats, mm -hmm. and uh, you know who is good and who is bad, but the reality is always more complicated. It's nice to you know have these stories to remind ourselves that there is an absolute standard of morality, but we have to be also admit that even the best of human beings apart from Christ himself have sinful, 
flaws mm -hmm. and, and mixed motives. And even the worst do not descend as bad as they could possibly be within this life. What are some other things, like as it pertains to, um, you know, events, people, meaning that you're looking for to better understand uh, what's happening throughout different periods of history? Yes. Well, one of the things that the Bible itself puts its finger on is the, the spread of salvation, the spread of the process of people throwing out their rebellion and coming back to God. They all never do that on their own. It's mm -hmm. God working in them. But he works through a message, and that was true in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, this message goes out to all nations. And it's the message, above all, of the work of Christ, of his coming to earth, his, his uh, kindness and compassion to people in distress, people who are sick, people who are troubled by demons, and then his death and his resurrection. And that message goes out. And the Bible, that's basically the meaning of the entire period from the resurrection of Christ until he returns. It's a period during which the message of salvation is to go out to all nations. That's the Great Commission in Matthew, and it's talked about in Acts 1.8 as well. And so one of the important things is to watch this spread of the message and to see the finger of God touching individuals, but also whole groups of people. So the Apostle Paul has such an important part in the New Testament because God appointed him to bring this message to the non-Jews. The Jews had pretty much had it to themselves. <laughs> uh, nobody was paying attention, pretty much, apart from the Jews to the message of the true God until the New Testament and the, the, the resurrection of Christ. And so now we've got the gospel spreading through the Roman Empire and then beyond. Well, if there was a single period that I would single out beyond that initial expansion, it would be the period of the Reformation because the church had sort of covered over the message of salvation with a lot of traditions, some of which and led to a distorted understanding of who God was and who, what Christ had accomplished. In the Reformation, people read the New Testament in the original languages, or well, the Old Testament in the original language of Hebrew and New Testament in Greek, and they rediscovered the message of the Bible. And it was one of the most exciting periods in the whole of history subsequent to the work of Jesus because of this rediscovery and the amount of change that took place, not only in individuals, but in culture, because you get enough individuals who are changed and the culture begins to change as well. So it was an exciting period. It was mixed, right? There were, there were uh, sins that were done uh, even by the so-called good guys, <laughs> but but I, rate the, I can evaluate the Reformation in terms of the purposes of God because it fits right into this program that God himself has described of the spread of the gospel. And the same goes for, for the great era of missions of the spreading the gospel to many nations of the world uh, in, the, in primarily the 19th century. Uh, 
uh, missionary work and sending people out from Great Britain and from the United States really blossomed in the 19th century and into the 20th century. And so now we see much more than ever before, Christianity is in a global religion. And uh, so, you know, you can follow that kind of aspect. Now, there are many other things happening in history that uh, on the surface are not really related to that story of the expansion of the message of the gospel. So we have to do the best we can in terms of general principles that God has given us in the Bible for sifting through, as I say, good and bad um, in eras of history. Mm -hmm. Can you talk uh, maybe about one or two of those principles? Oh, well, it's partly principles of morality mm -hmm. were some of the leaders. So you know, I mentioned Napoleon, right? I don't know. I haven't, I'm not an expert in that, but can we evaluate good and bad in what he did um, by biblical standards or, or in World War I, World War I, World War II, because it involved the Nazis and really evil ideas. Mm -hmm. It's more polarized into white hats and black hats. World War I is a lot more confusing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, who's responsible? Well, this, nobody is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so what do we do with something like that? And uh, you have biblical standards, but you can say, you know, various leaders in various countries made horrible mistakes in some of the judgments and some of the moves that they made. And the whole country suffers from that kind of thing. But you see that kind of thing in the Bible as well. The Bible's history in the Old Testament has good kings and bad kings that reigned over Israel. And when the bad kings are there or when the good kings make big mistakes, the whole nation suffers. That's, that's part of the reality of life. And it's hard to accept, but the Bible is quite frank that this is, this is a nature of history. And, and so that kind of thing continues, even though the, in the Old Testament, Israel is the special holy nation. There's no other nation like it because God chose them. Well, there's no holy nation in the New Testament period. Mm -hmm. uh, rather, the gospel goes and penetrates all the common nations, right, who, uh, who uh, don't have any special uh, privilege uh, the way Israel did. Uh, but the gospel goes out and penetrates those. And so we can still say, you know, how are they dealing with it? How are you dealing with these issues? And, and, and where are they violating biblical morality? And the Christian nations of the West are very mixed bag. And, and that's been an embarrassment to Christianity. But my answer would partly be that, that Christianity is realistic about evil and that evil creeps into the church. It creeps into people who claim to be Christians. And uh, it's very hard to explain that if evil is not radically evil. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't penetrate deep into human nature. And it's precisely the gospel that, that gives an answer to that depth of evil in human beings. So I'm gonna I'm gonna use the you know the biblical morality. I'm gonna use how 
how people, uh, how nations treat Christians when the Christians are a minority, right? And the failures of Christians where at least professing Christianity is in a majority. Now, mm. I say that because, you know, whenever Christianity grows, as it did in the Roman Empire, there comes a point where it's, it's, uh, it's acceptable to be a Christian. Well, then socially, a lot of people want to get on board who really don't understand who Jesus is. Mm. They're committing themselves not to the real Jesus, but to some social movement, right? Yeah. Well, that's going to degrade the quality of the Christian church if it happens. So part of the, part of the story of history is the struggle for genuine Christianity against its corruptions, not only outside the church, but inside the church. But as I look at the modern world, one of the interests that my wife and I have is how are countries doing in terms of persecution of Christians? Hmm. And where are they suffering? Can we pray for Christians in other countries? So we're oriented to understanding our big family is an international family of fellow Christian believers. Our primary allegiance is not to the United States, so that we're grateful uh, to hmm. be. American citizens, but the primary allegiance is to our brothers and sisters who are in the community of Christ. So we're going to pray for them, and and uh, we're we're going to pray for justice in you know all the nations of the world. But knowing that that justice is going to be flawed and incomplete and and with nasty corruptions until people give their allegiance to Christ and, and they have their hearts cleansed. Yeah. One of the things that you were just talking about that it really made me uh, think about it. And I know that you talk about this, the book, it just feels like it clicked for me this time is just understanding people dynamics too, of what you were talking about with, um, with how people operate, you know, just as you were saying with Christians being in the minority and then when it moves to the majority, people tend to move more towards the um, majority and stuff like that. Um, I'd be curious to just hear any additional thoughts that you have on understanding people dynamics as it relates to history and helping us gain a better perspective there. Yeah, well, maybe I should refer you and well, it's kind of a cop okay. out, but maybe I should refer you and other people to, to my book, Redeeming Sociology. Mm -hmm. Because there, I, I focus quite intensely on human relations. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we have within the United States a kind of ideology of American individualism and the idea of the, the, the Lone Ranger yeah. hero, uh, although even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, but you, you know what I yeah. mean, that yeah. there's this picture of the, the loner uh, but it's an unrealistic one-sided picture. And the idea of individual autonomy that I just uh, live my life to fulfill my own individuality is very selfish mm. when you think about it. We're not meant to, to be just focused on each person's individuality and his idea of individual fulfillment. Very selfish, very anti-Christian actually. We're meant to be in relationships. And even the things we do, for instance, in, okay, so I go to college and develop a skill, let's say in business or in biology or you know whatever it is, I ought not to be doing that to see 
how successful I can become, but how I can serve other people. If I can run a business that makes a good product and that blesses people with it, and that is, you know, it's a quality product, I'm serving those people. That ought to be the attitude. Uh, frequently not, <laughs> unfortunately. Or the biologist, I'm not out to make a name for myself, but I'm out to either teach people to understand the, the wonders of the biological world that God has made and, and superintends, or I'm trying to, to train people, let's say, to be, be um, in the medical professions that are helping professions or pharmaceuticals to, to uh, try to create more medical products that will help people. So it's a matter of service. It's love God supremely. So I'm serving God supremely, but then loving my neighbor as an outflow of that, that ought to be the meaning of people's lives. So the human relationships aspect, well, the biggest relationship is a relationship to God and people often forget that, right? In a, in a, um, a culture where everybody is, is out to make money or to build human relationships horizontally. But human relationships are really important. So the dynamics of relationships are important. And in my book, I do talk a little bit at least about the way in which we're pulled along by our environment. What we learn in the educational uh, um, area, what we learn in the media or interaction on social media, all those things influences us and often in both good and bad ways, right? So that's part of the story and whole cultures can go along in what you might call a myth, right? Uh, such as the Roman Empire thinking nothing of infanticide. You just throw your baby out on the ash heap if, you, if, it, if it's unwanted. It, that's an instance of a culture gone blind. Well, there are blindnesses in every culture of the world. And but if you're immersed in the culture totally, you're often not aware of them. I think abortion, for instance, is one of the blindnesses of the elite American culture. Fortunately, there are people who are speaking out against it. So it's a conflict, right? But, but that's an example of the fact that, you know, if you're hearing only one side of that discussion, you can find yourself being pulled along by the tide and, and not aware, look, you've got to ask hard questions because the culture is not necessarily right. Is, uh, I, would, I would love uh, just to ask, and, and I know that we've covered a lot of stuff um, in history, and sometimes history can be a little bit complex, you know, just as we've mentioned throughout this, you know, it's not always, um, you know, black and white or understanding of that. Um, anything that's really helped you understand, like any of the complex natures of history or stuff that isn't so uh, cut and dry? Right. Well, the, the history in the Old Testament, that's, <laughs> it's so realistic. I mean, it's a record of what really happened, but often very mixed situations with, as I say, the good kings and the bad kings, but the bad kings are not as bad as they could be. And the good kings have failures. And it's just, yeah, it's just messy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but that's, that's part of the reality. And I think that 
sense of messiness and of not being able to understand everything and of the complexities morally and otherwise is, is something that has helped me as I've gone out into the world. And then we look at the Reformation, for example, which I've mentioned before. My wife is a specialist in Reformation history. So it's drawn me into that, right? And I appreciate some of the complexities of what was happening, but it's partly a matter of educating yourself and perhaps reading some of the best historians um, concerning you know, some particular uh, period and some particular uh, developments. And because the best historians are gonna be multidimensional, they're gonna show you some of the complexities. And uh, that's helped me, as I say, particularly with the Reformation because my wife has, uh, has gotten me really interested in it. Yeah. Well, just as we're wrapping up, is there anything else that we haven't covered or about? And I know, I know we could cover a ton of other stuff, but anything just top of mind about, you know, redeeming our thinking about history um, or just about history in general that you want to make sure that we mention or talk about? Yeah. Well, if I had to to say kind of you give one message yeah. to people, it would be to recognize, re-recognize what God has written into every human heart, namely that at the center of things is God himself. God has made you, each individual, he's made the human race, he governs the whole of history. And there's so much in modern Western thought that is pulling us just to kind of blank that whole thing out, right? And deal just with the horizontal relationships between people and our relationships to the technology. But it's really, it's God and his meanings that give meaning to the, to the technology and to the relationships. You think of the kinds of relationships we have, a mother and, and a son or mother and daughter and, and friends and employees and employers and a variety, a huge variety of relationships. Well, all those are imitative in one respect or another of our fellowship with God himself, who is ultimate personal God and in whose image we are made. So people have ceased, I think, to appreciate that. And it, you need the Bible to get you back on track and saying, you know, it's not only about having a better marriage or having better work atmosphere, it's about knowing God. And knowing God does have spinoffs. I don't want to, to be one-sided about it. It has spinoffs in how we behave uh, in our whole life. But unless you start with what is most central and, what, and, and, and the redemption in Christ, which gives us a new record, right? a new start, unless you start with that, you're going to be frustrated in your life and in your relations to other people. So that, you know, if there's one thing, it would be that. And, you know, because you mentioned I've written a number of books. Most of these books have the term God-centered approach in them because I'm trying to remind people, look, you know, we have to have God in the picture if we're going to uh, serve him and if we're going to understand the meaning of our own lives. 
Well, Vern, I know that people are going to want to keep up with you and get the book, you know, Redeeming Our Thinking About History. Where's the best place for people to go to do all those things? Well, I have a website I share with John Frame. It's called frame-poitress.org. Uh, well, if people search on the internet, they'll, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they'll, they, they'll, you know, that will come up uh, very near the top. And in terms of buying books, um, of course, everybody goes Amazon, but WTS Books is actually a source that carries many of my books, and uh, you'll find this very reasonable uh, for you know, for purchases. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. And thank you for just doing the work and helping us learn a little bit more about history. Okay, well, thank you for having me. I've enjoyed the time. So after that conversation, I think there's a few different things that are standing out to me or that really got me thinking about this. I think one is that history can help us understand what's happening in the moment because just all throughout the conversation, it just brought to mind a recent article. Um, you know, actually, it's more from a couple of months ago in the Atlantic, and it's from Jonathan Haidt. And, um, and it's about... Uh, the effect that social media has had on us today. And he actually uses a biblical example in talking about the Tower of Babel. And maybe you've read it, maybe you haven't read it, uh, but he just compares uh, to today to how things were in um, right around that time of the Tower of Babel and how social media has had that effect on us. And so it just got me thinking about that, of how the present moment, uh, or I guess understanding the past moment, can help us understand the present moment. And I think another thing is that it often takes a really long time for us to understand the events throughout history as well. And often um, it can be really hard to see in the moment of what's happening and the effect that they're happening. Sometimes, you know, I'm sure we can see, but often we don't know the true effects of history uh, until much after that time. It really brought to mind of uh, presidents as well, and how uh, many times throughout history, you know, you don't often understand how uh, how a president is evaluated until much after the moment that they have left office, often decades after that. And that doesn't mean that we can't still see the effects of, um, you know, current events today or even in current um, presidents. But often it's it's through that um, through that hindsight, through that distance that allows us to get a better, clearer picture of, of I guess the whole picture as well. And I think the last thing that it made me think of is just that history is very messy. And that diving into history and learning from history. It doesn't mean that we have to agree with the things that happened because history could be messy. And and even just engaging in that idea that Vern talked about that, you know, so easy. I think it's it can be very tempting for us to think in very black and white terms and how that that isn't always 
the case. That doesn't mean that there isn't good and that, you know, there that there isn't evil. Um, but it's but it's just really hard to see sometimes because even what seems like the most evil thing, sometimes there can be aspects of that that are good. And so, as I mentioned, it's just very messy and, and just very um, complex. And so that's why I like having episodes like this and like having conversations like this of diving into the complexity and learning just a little bit more. And sometimes, sometimes, you know, we, we might find some answers. And a lot of times I just feel like we, uh, or I have a lot more questions afterwards. And so this is an idea of just learning about history. We're going to continue to talk about it on the podcast, continue to learn from it as well. And I'm sure you have your own ideas and things that you would love to learn about. And, um, if you would love us to cover it on the podcast, you know, hit me up at Learners Corner Podcast uh, at gmail.com. Or if you really want, you could start your own podcast and you could start learning about those things um, also. And so I do want to say uh, thank you to Sam Massey for being on this podcast. Thanks to uh, Vern for coming on the podcast as well and engaging in um, just this great conversation. And thank you for listening all the way to the end of the episode. That's all that I have for you today. My name is Kayla Mason, and until next time, keep learning and keep growing.